Welcome to What Won't You Say, a woman-centered podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Mastic. Stick around for the season to be inspired by amazing women who bravely delve into the stories of their lives, giving hope and inspiration to others. Together, we will explore such a wide array of topics that you will be asking yourself, what won't you say? All right, welcome back to another episode of What Won't You Say? We're back again with uh, Jackie Zimmerman. Hi, Jackie. Hi. <laughs> so, uh, so we left off in the story at a pretty dark spot. You actually, at this point, were contemplating suicide. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think also very transparently, a lot of people with chronic illnesses that literally, I know I keep saying literally, but that just destroy their lives. A lot of people get here. It's not uncommon. Um, so again, if this is you, you, you're not the only person who's feeling this way. Yeah. Um, I remember there was a time I was at, I was at a coffee shop and I don't remember why I was at a coffee shop, but I was there by myself and maybe I was working on something or, um, but I was chatting with a friend of mine. We were texting or maybe we were talking on the phone. Maybe but this is back when I talked on the phone. Um, and <laughs> that was a time. Wow. <laughs> there wasn't always texting at the way that it is now. Uh, and I was, I was basically, I was telling her what was going on. I was sort of like, this is how I feel. This is what I think. This is where I'm at. Wow. And she was like, okay, I'm going to start calling hospitals. We're going to start, we're going to do something. And wouldn't, you know, there were no hospital beds anywhere, nowhere, nothing. Mm. Uh, so, uh, that was my first foray into like barely severe depression was like deal with it on your own. Yeah. Uh, and, and candidly also at this time, at some point during this whole process, I did start taking antidepressants. I don't remember when, uh, probably pretty early on. Um, but they were clearly not enough at this point. Right. Um, I remember I had a, a primary care physician appointment. I don't, who knows why I was seeing her at this point. Um, but I couldn't drive myself. And I remember my dad drove me. And so he drove from their home, which is like 45 minutes to pick me up to drive four minutes to my doctor's appointment. And, uh, I'm in my appointment, he's in the waiting room and the doc, I'm talking to the doctor about this because I don't look good right you know yeah. i am i am poster child of depression at this point and i'm i'm tell i'm being honest like i you know i couldn't get in anywhere so i'm this is what's happening and she was like well we should call someone right now we, like i should call a, a a hospital or you should call whatever and i was like i'm not going to the er right now like that's that's not the option that i want i have done that way too much i'm not yeah. doing that now and she was like i really she was trying to push me really hard to do it and i i had to tell her i was like look you know my dad is here and we don't get to spend a ton of time together right now. And like, to, honestly, it's a really good day and it just feels really good to be with him. So can you just not do this and let me trust me that I, I can assure you I will be safe. And right. this is, you know, um, and she did and she trusted me and, and I was honest. I was being honest. Mm -hmm. I just, it was this like light of a day that I had with my dad. And uh, I felt like, this is not the day. Yeah. And uh, at this time also, like, I also have guns in my house at this time. Yeah, right. Because of the whole boyfriend thing. Right. So there are people in my life who are putting pieces together, right? My sister, this friend who are like, you are very much talking in this way. And and so I'm I'm not, I'm not doing this in a bubble, but I'm also not doing this widespread, right? I'm not. Yeah. 
there's so much shame around these thoughts and feelings and the reactions that um, I'm not telling, I'm not even really blogging about this. I'm just existing in it. Um, also isolating because that's what most people do when they're wildly depressed. And it had to, from outsiders, not seem all that suspicious that you have a chronic illness and you live by yourself and you're isolated a lot. Like, yeah. I also have a bathroom disease. So, right. So it's just like, maybe she looks this way because of all the meds and everything that she's going through and the surgeries. Mm -hmm. It'd be very easy to skirt around it with people and have them not pick up on it. Mind you, this is also the same time that I'm going through this process of losing all this weight. So I actually look like I'm getting healthier. This is another one of those moments where weight is not reflective of what's happening, where I look to be returning to my pre-sickness weight and even thinner, actually, because, you know, I, of course, go overboard with the diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, again, we are a perfect storming of some disordered eating in bad health and, you know, isolation. And like, we are definitely in a point where I I can see it all now. Like, absolutely. I can put pieces together now in the moment. I know I'm wildly depressed. I know that I have constant suicidal ideation to the point where I have put a plan in place on how to make this all happen in the way that I want it to, because I'm a control freak to the end. Um, and, uh, I start, Think like thinking about the ripple effect of this on my family. Yeah. It's intense. And if you recall, maybe I talked, maybe I talked to you about this, but if I didn't tell the whole podcast, um, in January of 2010, which was a couple months before my first surgery, my sister had her first child. Mm-hmm. Take and, time. Take and time. that child is the reason that I'm still here now because I just felt like I didn't want them to not know me at all and have that be the only thing that they knew. Um, particularly my sister is my only sister, so there wouldn't be other you know, sibling relationships, you know, um, I, I wanted to model better behavior than that. You know, I knew at that time that I was likely to never have my own children. I, I do not have ever, never really wanted children. Sure. Um, and so this was going to be the closest to kids that I was ever going to have. And, uh, at this point I had spent just a boatload of time with this baby because I wasn't working. My sister needed a lot of extra help in her life at this time. Um, so I was with the baby a lot, um, doing feedings at night, doing naps during the day, you know, just basically co-parenting with my sister kind of at this time. And, um, when I got to that super deep, dark place, I thought about being able to, you know, have those conversations with this child when they got older about, well, when you were a baby, X, Y, Z, you know, the the things that the people who love us tell us when we get older. And I just couldn't fathom like that hole. I just pictured like a hole in the family tree. And maybe that's very (laughs) self-centered, but um, (laughs) where I'm like, well, they'll think of me and there'll be a giant blank space. Um, That's true though. But uh, I just, I couldn't have that be the only thing they knew about me. 
Do you feel also that it was compounded with the possibility of babies is just joy and you're, you're looking forward to something, you're taking care of something, you're nurturing something, which in effect really kind of reminds your natural state to nurture yourself as well in this and, and you know, that, that there's value. I mean, this, this baby reminded you of the value that you have. I think that's very possible, but it was definitely not a conscious thought. Sure. Um, because at this point, again, I, I am worthless. I bring nothing other than burden to those around me. Mm -hmm. And there is no point in which I can see a future where any part of that changes or even gets remotely better. But you had the, I'm looking forward to the future of being able to tell this kid stories about themselves. And I don't know why. But that, but it sort of marries in with your having something to look forward to Yeah. from earlier. Yeah. I mean, that is, oh, and I, I'm only pressing in on this and the story for the listeners. If you are dealing with depression, that is a key thing is to make sure that you have things to look forward to. That's a very big part. I'm a, I'm a coach. That's a very, very big part of coaching that I do too, is to make that. And that is a big part of helping to recover going through um, feelings of deep depression and suicidal thoughts. And so is it a, is it a, uh, an epiphany moment or is it just a gradual sort of understanding of all the shit sucks, but I'm not going to do that? It's both. It's a gradual moment of, you know, a, a baby giggle there or, you know, like a, a thing here kind of, you know, yeah. and, um, and I actually, I wrote a blog post about this, uh, basically chronicling chronicling out everything I've just said. So once I had decided that that was not going to be how my story ended, um, I told, I did what I do, which is, you know, I tell my closest friends on the internet, uh, which is everyone. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the worst moments that I designed for myself because I told everybody who knew me in real life and on the internet that I wanted to die. At the same time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and of of course, the the outreach was significant and amazing and people are delightful. And there was at this time, again, one of those guys I told you about, the two guys who were going through the surgery single sequence with me at the same time, one of those guys um, did a really amazing outreach to me at this point and also gave me a... a here's why I don't think you should do this. Yeah. And it was really impactful and really important. And um, he's also up there on the list of people who I think have saved my life. That's awesome. Um, that's Kevin, if he's listening. Uh, but I decided that that's not how I wanted it to end. So I put it on the internet. <laughs> and, and, and I did that because I, that was a version of accountability. Um, sure. Also, I felt like I had to be, I had to keep up with the honesty thing that I was doing on my blog where I was giving everybody everything. It felt unfair to anybody who was remotely invested in what I was telling them or who was following advice, even though I didn't mean for it to be advice. Um, I felt like I had to tell and I did. And again, the outreach and the support was lovely and great. And then I just started working on getting ready for that next surgery and therapy and more medication or medication change or something. Um, 
there was a moment where it was like, this is not going to happen. And, and I've said a lot of the time when you're there um, and you're in a point where you think that literally nothing is ever going to change, it's just going to keep getting worse. Cause all your evidence so far is that it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Um, I do believe that you have a choice. I agree. I think you have to hit the rock bottomest of rock bottoms before you can see that it really is a choice. And, and I, I made a conscious choice that I was not going to end that way. And, uh, um, and I felt like because I made that choice, I took some of the power back and it meant that I had to do what I do with everything in my life, which is start working towards it. I had to, you know, I started researching, I started making phone calls and doing the planning and that's how I cope. I'm a planner. So once I decided to stop planning my death and start planning my life, I had momentum. I could start going again. Um, So where where does this take you? um, It takes me uh, to that second surgery and I get the second surgery and it works. So the sequence, this is technically your third surgery, but it's your second for this. Yeah, it's okay. it's a it's a redo of number two. Got it. So it is number three, yes. So I have the proper loop ileostomy. I have a J pouch created in place healing. I now know that I have three months before my final surgery, which is called a takedown. That's what that surgery is called. Okay. So now, like it's a it's like a, it's a go button that I needed. It's a call in the pro column. It's a green light. It's a sunshine. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a goddamn win for God's sake. It, it is something to celebrate <laughs> again. Right. And, yeah. um, th- uh, th- that surgery was, was real fucky too. Right. I mean, each and every one of these things, there's been a problem. Um, this particular surgery. So every time I go into surgery at this period of time, I get what's called a pick line mm-hmm. and a pick line is a, is a, a scent. It's like an IV because it goes into your vein, but it's done under ultrasound. And, um, it's not just an IV with an ultrasound. It's a, it's a bigger procedure. It's like goes mm-hmm. up into your heart and there are two things on the end of it. So they can draw blood and give you meds at the same time. It's, it's delightful if you have bad veins like I do. Um, so I always get a pick line, I have a pick line. I go into surgery with a pick line. That's, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. I wake up from surgery with an IV in each hand, my pick line, and a remnant of an IV in my neck. Oh, God. And I was like, uh, what the fuck happened, you guys? <laughs> like, what went down? Because this looks like the result of bad news. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you're like, um, not again. Not again. No. And no one told me. And at this point, I also stopped reading my medical records. Like, the detail accounts of things that happened because it was not helping me. Are you telling me to this day you don't know what happened? No, I don't know. Wow. I mean, I don't blame you because at the end of the day, as long as everything went well, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. But I know that 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 had never happened before. And I just have, you know, the vibe that when they go for the neck, it's like bad. It's serious. It's serious stuff. Yeah. Um, Especially when you have a pick line, which is like a guarantee, right? Like pick lines don't really fail you know they so not, not uh, on jackie veins <laughs> i mean i can like uh, there's 
there's always something, you know, it's always something. So by no means were these surgeries like bam, 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 one, two, three, easy peasy. And now you're back to your new life. Like I fought for each one of them. And in between, particularly this one. So after this one, I'm healing, we're doing great. Everything is like, I'm back to life. I've started traveling again. I'm seeing friends across the country. You know, I, my ostomy has really given me freedom again. I'm not tied to my bathroom. I have time. There's no urgency. There's no pain. I'm eating whatever I want. You know, I went to Oregon to visit my friend, Dana, who saved my life the first time. Right. I just, I am seeing that there is goodness ahead. Are you also, and forgive me if this is an ignorant question. I do not know a lot about this. I want to ask questions for some of the listeners too. Um, Now that you have the J pouch, are you now processing food better, nutrients better? I mean, are you physically feeling better after this procedure? So I want to clarify your point. I have an internal J pouch, but it's not hooked up yet still. So it's not really doing much. It's just hanging out there because it's at the bottom. So by the time the food processes, it comes out first. And then the J pouch is actually below the area in which the food comes out in terms of locations. On so it's, not, so it's not affecting that at all. You're no. about the same. Okay. Cause you said no. like you were eating whatever you wanted. So I wasn't sure yeah, it made I, a difference. No, I just meant like a lot of times food can impact, you know, the ulcers in your intestines and, yeah. and inflammation, but I didn't have an, an intestine. So I didn't have the inflammation. Gotcha. So I could, you know, okay. I'm just, yep. Yep. you know, I'm, yeah. I'm back to feeling like I'm killing it again. Right. Yeah. Uh, and at this point I one day I wake up and I look at my stoma, which is where your small intestine comes out of your abdomen. It looks like a little like rosebud kind of looking. It's like red in color. It's the color of your intestine. It's tissue mm-hmm. color. Um, and I look down and something's wrong, but I, I've never seen something like this before. So I don't know what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is where my stoma actually separated from my skin. So your stoma is sewed to your abdomen. And then, you know, that heals. There's a scar that forms. Mm -hmm. Um, Mine separated on the incision line. So it's not, you know, hanging out of my body. It's not flopping around or anything. But there is now a like basically a gaping wound in between my stoma and my abdomen skin. And I can't get an appliance to stick on me anymore because of this huge hole. So I start calling Cleveland and I'm panicking because I'm like, this is, this is bad. This is so bad. And uh, the nurse there who was, who was a really amazing person who made me really want to have surgery there um, was really rude to me mm. in this interaction where she was sort of like, you know, if you want us to look at it, you got to get down here. And I was like, I live four hours away. Like, what am I supposed to do? And she was like, well, all we can do is tell you to come in. And it was, you know, like four o'clock on a Tuesday. So Mm -hmm. even if I leave now, I'm going to go to the ER is what you're telling me. I have to go to the ER. And, uh, so that's what I do because also I can't put a bag on. Mm -hmm. I literally have a plastic shopping bag sitting around my abdomen to catch whatever may come out. Wow. when you have an ostomy, you can't con- you can't control when the stool comes out the way that you can with your butt because you anus. That's the point of an anus. Yeah. So um, it comes out when it comes out. You don't know when it's coming. You can't stop it. You can't make it happen. So if you want to exist with an ileostomy, you have to have a bag on it. So what I the frick happens at the ER. We drive to Cleveland oh Clinic. Oh no! And they uh, are like, oh yeah. 
look at that. Okay, but what else? <laughs> like, uh, and they were like, well, we might have to move your stoma to the other side. We might have to have another surgery where we move your stoma to the other side of your abdomen. And I said, okay, but what else can we do here? And basically what we did is they, um, they packed the wound. So they packed the wound so that it would heal, which was a real bummer pain in the ass because it made the appliance sticking very difficult. And when your appliance doesn't stick, that's when you get leaks. Mm -hmm. And then you have stool in an open wound. So like if you have oh, any shit. kind of open wound around your ostomy, it's very difficult to heal because contamination possibilities. And that is actually the first time I have a wound around my ostomy. Um, and over time it does heal. It takes a long time, but it does heal. Um, in this same period of time, I also have a, a day where I'm, I'm, I'm changing my ostomy supplies, my appliance off my stomach. So you take it off, you like clean the site, you prep the skin because there's, um, adhesive stuck to your skin 24 seven. So the skin has a really hard time, you know, it becomes really yeah. sensitive. It can get rashes. It can degrade. Like there's just a lot of skin care that yeah. has to go around. And so I was pulling off the adhesive and I got impatient at the very end and I just like ripped it off and it ripped off a piece of my skin. Yeah. And the way like you rip off a scab. So you're like, I mean, uh, no big deal, but like, whatever but it wasn't a scab, right? It's a piece of my skin. And I'm going like, this blows, but I know how to like care for this wound. And so I start caring for the wound. I put the bag back on, we're back in business. Um, the second time I have a bad change, this is like maybe three or four days later, I go to take it off. And at this point, there is like a dime size pit in the, my stomach where that hole was. Ooh. It just started burrowing into it. And I'm like, I'm panicked in a way in which like, I've, never been again these are two times and like i've seen things now i should never have seen yeah so i call cleveland and i say like hey what do i do about this and they're like oh you know just take care of the wound and i'm like i'm taking care like what do you mean take care of it i don't know what to do so they tell me to pack the wound again and i pack the wound again and so the same thing i put the appliance back on and like a couple days goes later i change the appliance and i open it up and now i can fit my pinky tip all the way in straight down just so you know, this is happening to you and this is all over and I am stressed out hearing this. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine the absolute stress you're going through with this. Well, it's like every time you take it off, something yeah. worse is happening. And I need to preface this also. This is also not common. What I'm saying, right. both of these scenarios, right. stoma separations, this thing, not common. This is not something that happens often with ostomies. So I don't want this to be a thing that's like deterring somebody away or something that we're, again, it's further reinforcing some bad stereotypes about ostomies. This is all just like super fun luck of the draw stuff. So how do you fix this? How does it get healed? So what Cleveland tells me, so I go back to Cleveland, right? Cleveland tells me this is a, an infection called pyoderma. And um, the way you treat pyoderma is you do steroid injections into it. Oh, God, come on. <laughs> Can you not get a break here? Holy crap. And I have to come back to Cleveland every week to do it for the next, like, four weeks. So I'm eight hours in a day. I drive four hours there. I have my appointment. I drive four hours back. And I do this for four weeks. And it continues to get worse. It's now the size of a quarter. It is huge. It's like a cavern next to my stomach. And again, he's like, well, we might have to move your stoma. And I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. So I have a point where it's, it's so bad. I have to go to an ER again. And uh, most ERs are not equipped to handle people with ostomies at all. 
They have no idea what to do with them. There are not WCOCN nurses anywhere around. It's just sort of them being like, hey, (laughs) we don't know what to do here, Uh, which is awful. And I decided to go to a different ER this time. And I went to an ER that was like a little bit further from my house. And I don't go there often because it's not a hospital system I'm very familiar with, but I just decided to. And um, they were very much like, we don't know what to do. We can call, we're going to call a doctor. And again, even their surgeon came down and was like, we don't know what to do with this. So now I'm panicking. Yeah. And days are going by and it's getting worse. And so I start, start, start trying to Google a WOCN nurse close to me because I can't keep going to Cleveland for this stuff. Yeah. And it's not even getting better. I find a WOCN. I call her up and I'm like, Hey, how do I get an appointment with you? And she's like, okay, well, first you have to get a referral. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I get a referral? And she's like, well, you need to be in our hospital system. I'm like, okay, well, how do I get into your hospital system? And she goes, well, you need to have a PCP that's in our hospital system. And I said, okay, well, how do I do that? So I have to find a random doctor, make a random appointment, show up, pay them $50 to be like, Mm -hmm. am I your, am I your patient now? cool. I'm your patient now. Cool. Can you write me a referral so I can go see this woman for this thing? That's now a month plus old. I go see her and she goes, Oh, I know exactly what's going on here. Use this special thing that I don't remember what it's called. And then use this healing honey and use these things. And like within two weeks it was healed. And this is why WCNs are the unicorns of medicine. They are amazing people. This is also why, uh, the best in the world did not know what was going wrong here. And the local WOCN did. And the hoops I had to jump through to find somebody who lived local to me that knew what they were doing with an ostomy was unreal. It cost me time, money, and actual sickness. Just unacceptable. So at this point, do you um, fire your surgeon? Um, I do. <laughs> I, I mean, do. Jesus. Um, I don't care best in the world or not he's not been the best for you at all no it and so between honestly his nurse getting really really snotty yeah him not delivering me the news that my surgery failed his failure to treat the pyoderma i know i'm facing a final surgery and i'm not feeling confident in what's happening there not to mention to make matters even worse at this time from when i've started my surgeries to now he's now become chair of the entire department Ugh. He's even harder to get a hold of. He is less responsive. And now he is much more busy. So there's no more, I talk to you like a person. Mm-hmm. I am a, officially a number now, Yeah, which I expected in the beginning. And I was delighted when it didn't feel that way. But it very, I saw very easily their, their department get overwhelmed very fast. Yeah, And uh, in that process, patient care and uh, patient relations tanked pretty severely i saw the stress in their emails but i was still like i'm I, we're in this together right? right like we're doing this so i found a local surgeon uh who does j pouches and i called him up and i said will you take this over i mean i couldn't even see two doctors in the same department so right. taking over someone's surge i was i don't what are the rules here and he was like yeah i can do that you know we're gonna i'm gonna need to like scope you and I can't make you any promises because I can't see the inside of you. And I didn't do it obviously, but if all goes is the way it should go, this should be a relatively easy surgery and should be no problem. We're going to stop there. We're going to see how that actually plays out. Um, and, uh, thank you so much again for sharing your story. I know this is 
these last few portions have been pretty tough, but uh, I appreciate you coming on, you know, and being honest and let it, letting everyone in on it. Uh, thanks for the platform. And, and I, 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 I mean, I don't promise it's all up. It's all downhill from here. It's like, it's all bumpy Hills from here, but it's not as bad as it has been the last couple episodes, uh, you know, such as life. So, <laughs> all right, we'll see you all back uh, in the next episode. Thank you for listening to What Won't She Say. You can find us at whatwontshesay.com, on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else that you like to find your podcast.